FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 112 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked. I'm your host, Jason. Ain't alien scavenger hunts fun? Venable. And I'm joined once again by flashback co-host Cameron. I've got a public naughtiness rap sheet a mile long, Sinclair. Good stuff. So how you doing? I'm okay. Good. I'm sick, so I may sound kind of gross on the pod, but... That's all right. So, I'm going to um, power through because it's important. That's right. Big time stuff. Uh, we're going to do um, Wolverine Year 10 Part 1. Sounds so much fun. Yeah. There's not really any uh, big events to name this one after, so we're just doing a little section in time. There you go. Yeah. What's up with Wolverine? Yeah. Well, catching up with Catching up man. with Wolverine. There you go. Right. Yeah, this is the first part of his 10th year. Yeah, we knew about the first half or so. That'll be, yeah, um, we got an annual. We got some guest spots. We got some Uncanny X-Men and, you know, all the typical Wolverine fare in, in 1983. Yeah, four, 83, going into four. How about we talk about some comics? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Okay, so first up, we have the Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 7. This is Scavenger Hunt. Plot and script by Chris Claremont. Pencils by Michael Golden. Uh. Except pages 28 to 32, penciled by Brett Blevins. Inks, pages 1 and 2 by Michael Golden. 3 to 7 by Tom Mandrake. 8 to 11 by Bob Wyacek. 12, 13, and 16 by Terry Austin. 14, 15, 17 through 19 by Brett Breeding. 20 to 23 by Tom Mandrake. 24 by Bill Anderson. 25 to 27 by Joe Rubenstein. 28 by Steve Lealoha, 29 by Sam De La Rosa, uh, 30 and 31 are back to Rubenstein, page 32 by Al Milgram, 33 to 37 back to Brett Blevins, and 38 and 39 by Terry Austin. Holy crap. That's Austin. Yeah. And they had so many inkers, they didn't have time to thank the colorist or the inker. <laughs> or the uh, letterer, I mean. Yeah, they straight up cut everybody out. I wonder why they had so many... Inkers. I would get having a bunch of different pencilers come in and do guest spots. The inking seems like a weird thing. I guess they just passed out the pages and said, hey, ink this. Here, ink this. It kind of seems like that's every Marvel inker in the office at that time. Yeah. I wonder if they were just yeah. behind schedule. Yeah, probably. There's a bunch of pages in it. It was a stupid uh, assistant editor's month at Marvel. Uh, there were a lot of crappy books that came out this month. So assistant editors yeah so anyway um our cover is by john romina jr who is of course, just taken over his run on uncanny x-men and we have like a big black block up top and then a white background in the about the bottom two thirds and we have the x-men all attacking the impossible man and it's impossible a, man. yeah it's a very just kind of meh cover um it's neither yeah. here nor there I kind of like the the black and white. Yeah, that box. part's cool. That's kind of cool. But yeah, the image and stuff is just okay. 
All right, so chapter one. The X-Men are playing a nice, relaxing game of baseball, and Colossus knocks a spaceship down with a pop fly. <laughs> yep, that's how this story starts. <laughs> a green and purple Galactus steals the X-Mansion. All right, chapter two. The <laughs> The X-Men determine it's not really Galactus and trace it to a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier where Kitty breaks up a Nick Fury sex party. His eye patch also goes missing. <laughs> Chapter 3. The X-Men follow this weird creature to the Savage Land where Zabu the saber-toothed tiger has been kidnapped. The X-Men are baffled by all the randomness until Rogue suggests, Hey, maybe this is an alien scavenger hunt. <laughs> Chapter 4. The thief steals all of Wasp's costumes while the Avengers and X-Men fight. And the, the X-Men next go to the Hellfire Club where Storm starts getting pissy. That's pissy with an I. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last time I said some weird things about Storm. I don't want to cast any more aspirations on her. <laughs> um, all right. So chapter five, we go to the Marvel offices. Mm, boy. They find out it's the Impossible Man, and it is the Scavenger Hunt. And after he, Impossible uh, Man. yeah. So after he knocks out Rogue, he feels really sorry. Chapter six, <laughs> Impy, A.K.A. the Impossible Man, agrees to return all his stuff after giving an impossibly zing, boring backstory. Some other aliens show up for revenge, but Lelandra negotiates. A peaceful return of all the items. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah, there are some very important panels to discuss periodically. Yeah. All right, so I do love um, Colossus's uh, cut-off camo shirt. Oh, yeah. That's pretty great. And um, Pretty great. So in the baseball game, Wolverine picks his own team. That, that was kind of cool. He basically says, <laughs> hey, it's funny. me and Rogue and Colossus versus everybody else. Yeah, Moro can fly, so. Or not Colossus. Um, who was on his team? Oh, Nightcrawler. Sorry. And they describe Wolverine as a tricky picture. <laughs> He's tricky. I think he would be. Yeah. You got to yeah. comment on Lalandra and a Yankees jersey. Well, you know, they're the bandwagon team. I'm sure that, that transfers all the way across the universe. <laughs> or maybe she I, stole it out off of Professor X's floor after some sexy time. I assume that because this is, because they're just jacking around here. Right. But they've clearly had some downtime. Just uh, jack-a-lacking around. Right. One, so Professor X has finally taken Lalandra on all the touristy crap. Oh, they okay. They right, right, right. They went to the Statue of Liberty. They went to right. all the different baseball fields. There you go. So they, they to took in a game stadium. at Yankee Stadium. There you go. Before they split up for their big yeah. dramatic split they have coming up. My last night in New York, I want to see Phantom of the Opera. Oh. Cats, Cats was running. Oh yeah, yeah, would have probably would have been Cats. Name. Yeah, you're right. I don't oh. remember when Cats started. Actually, I don't care. But I don't know. We'll assume it Either was way, it was going and Sabretooth had the lead. Falls from the sky. Yeah, yeah. Colossus hits a. He goes natural. I'm, What's we'll that theme song? Thing. What's the natural theme song? Uh, I don't know. The natural, the natural. In your head, listen to it right now. That that goes okay. with this scene. Oh yeah, I hear it. Listeners at home. You also notice that Kitty Pride is really muscular. Well, she's been hitting the danger room. She's been hitting the danger room, hitting the weights. Especially this scene right here where Lalandra's where they're looking up at the yeah. up at the satellite. Oh, yeah, she she's like ripped. bodybuilder. Yeah. Yeah, she's been doing some roids and trying to catch up to Colossus, I guess. And we'll say uh, in the 
the Galactus pose that Michael Golden does some good Kirby crackle. Rogue calls Wolverine Wolvie Ol' Sun. <laughs> I have a really bad feeling, just based on her design and such, that they originally intended Rogue to be a lot older than she ends up being. Uh, that may be true. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Anyway, I like how with this Nick Fury scene, we literally get... And they even show the radio. So we get a sexy music scene in a silent comic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Then a um, a phallic dragon gets really rapey with Kitty. That's just odd. What's that tentacle tentacle porn? What's that called? Oh, I don't remember the I don't know. Japanese Wait. stuff. Yeah, hey, Georgie, what's that? what's that called? At Tokyo Tranny Boy on Twitter can let us know um, what the tentacle <laughs> yeah. porn is called. Well, either way, we get a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Nick Fury says he wants an explanation. He says, make it real fast and real good. That's what she said. Oh, yo. (laughs) That's funny. And then the agents come in to say, should we go full alert, sir? And Nick Fury says, I already am, agent. I already am. (laughs) Then we get a double snick in the Savage Land. That was pretty awesome. I actually really like that panel of... uh, His jaw's a little funny. And you got him yeah. doing a double snick and then Lilandra lighting up her lightsaber. It's a pretty cool panel. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good panel um, in the we, midst of a lot of silliness. Yeah. Then we get, all right, we'll talk about the art more at the end. We get a really wonky panel of Rogue. Yeah. That's kind of typical of when Michael Golden gets weird. But, um, yeah, she looks very strange. Very get, old. Maybe, maybe that's to your point about maybe them attending, intending her to be older. Yeah, maybe so. She looks pretty old. Yeah, I think John Romita Jr. actually draws her older. Yeah. With the weird, like, old lady hair. But... Yeah. But, yeah. Then, of course, we get Rogue She-Hulk. That's pretty cool looking. Yeah. Uh, We get another nice snicked. I really like this panel of uh, Wolverine over Emma Frost's body. And, like, the way the panel's cut, it looks really cool. Uh, The Nightcrawler teleporting looks pretty cool in this issue. I will say... At the end here. What? That stupid, um, the uh, Impossible Man. He's a balloon. <laughs> yeah, he turns into all kinds of cartoony he stuff. into a balloon. Yeah, he's a very Saturday morning cartoon. I thought pretty hilarious. So we get to the end here. I like this panel where, not so much the one where it's Rogue's face, I mean, um, Storm's face, but below that where everyone's kind of swimming around in the tornado. I like the, the weather lines. I think it looks pretty cool. Oh, yes, that does look cool. A couple of, couple of really good panels in the midst of... And this um, Sebastian Shaw face right below that panel is actually really good. Well, yeah, let, so let's save some of that for a minute. Oh, here. I'm sorry, you wanted to No, no, that's later. okay. I just, I think we we start talking about that, we're going to get really into the art overall, and I want to... Right. Real fast, I want to talk about how disturbing and right how... Right from the record. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> I, I just think it's a little too much... Um, Kitty going to town on that popsicle. <laughs> yeah. Just a bit, bit much. Um, a bit much. But then we get purple and green Tom Selleck and Garfield double fisting yeah. the popsicles. Oh my goodness. Hey, you forgot um, Ghost Rider, Impossible Man Ghost Rider. Oh yeah, I forgot uh, riding the saber-toothed uh, tiger. Thundercat. Yeah. Not Thundercat. What was He-Man's saber-toothed tiger? Battlecat. Cat. Battle Cat, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I know that's the Savage Land guys. Yeah. Cat, but. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about the art. Um, I uh, think th- 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 is this the first time you've ever read Michael Golden? 
it's the first time I've ever read it and knew that I was reading it. Okay, fair I enough. I imagine in you know years reading bits and pieces of the of old comics. I'm sure I've come across them before, but yeah. So my <clears throat> overall opinion of Golden is that I really like him, but he throws in like random, weird, bad panels. Yeah. Were you leaning more towards that you didn't like him, but he has some really good panels? Um, no, I think yours is yours is accurate. I think mm. the story is. Oh, the story is terrible. We'll this right a the story is such a mess. Yes. That I don't know. I don't really know what he could have done. Yeah. Better because he's yeah. he's telling a, a crazy, ridiculous story. Right. And so, yeah. Overall, I mean, there's more. As far as artistic quality, I think there's way more good panels than there are bad. Yeah. Now, overall, I... I'm sorry, go ahead. the story. Yeah. Now, like overall, I like his art quite a bit, but you just get these random weird panels that don't look good. Like yeah. that one a rogue with, like, the giraffe neck and... Yeah, the old lady hair. Yeah. But but overall, I like his art quite a bit. Uh, this story is yeah, pretty it's, terrible. It's, it, is a, it is a complete mess. It's like a... It's like a way worse version of a mojo verse story yeah definitely way worse you know and it's it's silly and i'm not a big fan of mojo verse no i'm not either but it's almost kind of a fun kind of silly until the end when they go and start messing with the editors and all like breaking the fourth wall and all that crap that ruins whatever good vibe it may have had just gets flushed down the toilet at that point yeah i would agree with that it's just it's so stupid um, the editor died. He was like, "What if we put ourselves in the comic?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they all, our minds were all blown, and so they right, put right. It <laughs> yeah, I mean, the story—it's not good anyway. No, but it could but have it, been, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of them kind of jumping around from place to place—it's definitely not something I'd want to see in regular X Men. But as an right. annual, you know, that's where you kind of get some of the weirder stuff, and right. you know, okay. I can deal with that. But yeah, it, as it goes on, it gets more and more absurd. And then, yeah, once they break the fourth wall, it just kind of gets dumb. Right. But I think, see, I think there's a, a decent nugget of a story here that's not really, like you said, not tonally in the regular series because you can't make this too serious. But it doesn't have right. to be this dumb. Like, you have like a really cool, kind of fun, like kid cartoon story. Involving right. an alien scavenger hunt that could be like okay, like they have to find yeah. different things, and you play up kind of the game side of it, almost like a. a but then old... it gets. But then it's just a Mojoverse story. But it doesn't have to be. And you can, know, you, you can do be... a different alien. It doesn't have to be the Impossible Man. Right, but I just mean if you pushing the the game part of it, the more like a like a like a reality show game they're playing, oh. the more like a Mojoverse it kind of becomes. Which, yeah, yeah, it's not. I don't mean that like you can't do that, but right. I, I wasn't really if, thinking the reality show part. I was thinking more of just like like <clears throat> old like Hardy Boys stuff. Yeah. Well, I think if the Impossible Man didn't keep popping up, <laughs> you know, because if it was just like you said, if it's just he, they're following this um, scavenger hunt, they're getting clues. It's taking them to different heroes in different places. You could you could do something decent with that. Yeah. But that kind of randomly popping up of the impossible man makes him a game show host. Yes. Yeah. I see where you're and then going this with becomes that. the reality show. And then yeah. especially once you get the, uh, editors and stuff in. Yeah. yeah. Who don't flatter themselves very much in the art, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't. They so. pretty much draw themselves pretty much how they are. Yeah. Pudgy, bald, <laughs> horny mustache. 
All right, well, let's uh, let's get off of this. What do you want to grade <coughs> Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 7? Um, I would like to dwell for one more second on okay. Green Top Salic. Okay, what do you got? Nothing. I just think it's really funny. <laughs> In the I, midst of a lot of stupidness, I think that's actually a really funny I, I did really enjoy that. But then the Garfield thing ruins it because it's just stupid. Well, yeah. Although, if I was 10, I may, have would li- I may have liked that a lot more. Well, see, I think the Tom Selleck actually like is very obviously Tom Selleck, just color right. different. And, he, and he, Golden does a great job of making it look like Tom Selleck. And then Garfield, I feel like he could have gone a little more like in the style of Garfield and made him look a little more Garfieldy, Or maybe, maybe there's rights issues involved with that. I don't know. Maybe. But, it would have been funny if the whole panel had turned into Garfield. Yeah, like you like, just like went to a girls, Sunday morning comic like, strip, like the whole yeah, scene. Yeah, drawn like Garfield characters. That, that that's is, a right. good idea. Yeah. Man, we should have been I, assistant editors back then. I know, right? And I, I agree with you, the popsicle scene... Ooh, it's too much. Really <laughs> pornographic. I mean, <laughs> not to be a, a prude about it, but it's like, man, huh. just everything about that scene, and even the way Impossible Man is looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sleazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it's very bizarre for a kid's comic book. Yeah, I don't, I don't know uh, about this, but whatever. Back to grading, man. I'm gonna say two. I'm also gonna give Uncanny X Men Annual Number Seven two out of six claws. Okay, so next up, we're going to briefly cover Marvel Team Up Number One Thirty Five. This is. Spider-Man and Ariel together. This is during that brief period of time where uh, Kenny Pride went by the codename Ariel. <laughs> this is a uh, Down Deep in Darkness story by Bill Mantlo making his triumphant return to the podcast that goes snicked. Um, art by Ron Friends, or Ron Friends and Mike Esposito. Letters by Joe Rosen and colors by G. Rousus. Rousos. I don't know how you say that. Our cover is by Ron Friends and Al Milgram, and it's in the lair of the Morlocks. Now, like how in, inside they bill it as Spider-Man and Ariel, but on the cover they say Spider-Man and Kitty Pride. It's interesting. Anyway, we have uh, Spider-Man with Kitty slash Ariel and two kids being attacked from the skies by a whole lot of Morlocks. And I don't really like this cover that much. No, it's kind of like... Not very well drawn. Er, uh, Kitty particularly looks horrible. Yeah, well, the Morlocks look like they're falling from the sky. Yeah, they do. And Kitty's boots look like they like her clothes don't fit in a weird way and not in he a fashionable 14, way. What? He's 14, Jason. Uh, that's true. Her body's going through changes. Quit talking about it. So basically, uh, Spider-Man is caught in a subway hijacking. Uh, he <laughs> saves everybody by making the trains crash, but not as bad. And the Morlocks carry his unconscious body underground. Kitty, the worst babysitter ever, um, <laughs> loses a kid playing in a pit with Chris Pratt from Parks and Rec. Um, <laughs> the other kid shows Kitty, but they get nabbed by the Morlocks. Kitty jumps in a magnet car. Boo. Uh, <laughs> To Morlock HQ. A human heads a Morlock sec- sect. <clears throat> a human who heads a Morlock sect that defies both Callisto and Storm's rule. The kids. What? what is that? What do you mean? He hands them a set? Sect. S E C T. 
Sect, got it. Sect. Sorry. Like a cult, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the kids free Spidey. Kitty finds him and voila! We get our team up. Of course, they fight the Morlocks and escape. All right, so Wolverine's only in this for one panel where he very cheerily hates kids. <laughs> and that's about it. So the art is very middle-of-the-road, standard, early 80s Marvel house style. And the story is both boring and pointless. So you didn't read this, right, Cameron? No, I didn't. Congratulations. I have it. <laughs> My life is a little bit better. Yeah. So we will skip Cameron's grade. I'm going to give Marvel team-up number 135 one out of six claws. Yikes. We haven't had many of those. Nope, we don't get too many. But here's one. All right, moving on. All right, so before we get into uh, Uncanny X-Men 178, just want to kind of cover what happened in 177. We do have an awesome cover by John Romita Jr. It is a cool cover. With uh, Wolverine standing over Kitty Pride's body. But unfortunately, Wolverine's not actually in this comic, despite having a good number of panels. Um, <laughs> so what happens is basically Mystique hires Arcade to train her brotherhood with um, evil X-Bots from Murder World. Uh, there's a lot more hinting at the Nightcrawler Mystique thing, and the Brotherhood set a trap for the X-Men, freezing Colossus into a nitrous state. And so all the panels in Wolverine are really just an android made by Arcade. Well, boo. Yeah, so that's going to take us right into Uncanny X-Men number 178. Dun, all right, so... 178, Hell Hath No Fury is the title of this one. Yeah. We got Chris Claremont, writer, John Romita Jr., penciler, Bob Wyacek, editor, I mean, uh, this is E-R. No, Bob uh, Wyacek and Brett Breeding are the inkers. Oh, I think that's supposed to be an and, and percent thing. Yeah. So Bob Wyacek and Brett Breeding, inkers, Glennis Wine, colorist. Uh, we got a pretty decent cover, I think. Yeah, it's uh, by John Romita Jr. and Dan Green. Yeah, uh, the green is not great for the background, I think. Yeah, it's okay. But I like the Wolverine diving into the blob. Yeah. I like kind of the, the Nightcrawler half-teleported. Yeah, that's cool. The storm looks awesome with the Rohawk. And then I was going to say the uh, the Brotherhood characters are all just drawn okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, like the Almost like an afterthought. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, we need the bad guys in there too. So they're... Uh, <laughs> Amanda looks kind of weird. Yeah, she looks like uh, her power is bubblegum. Yeah. <laughs> She's the bubblegum forest. So overall, okay cover. Yeah. So we open with Colossus. Looks like he's bursting out of the ground. I don't think he was. <clears throat> but having been heated up to an extremely high temperature and then cooled down to absolute zero, which, of course, most everyone knows, destroys metal. Well, fortunately for Colossus, he's organic metal. Doesn't quite destroy him, but we're not quite sure what's going to happen. Right. He didn't shatter, but he's uh, he's, a, he's a little statue. A lot of cracks, and so he's just kind of frozen. So we open with that. Um, Kitty cries. Then she calls Professor X through the old mind link. Professor X, who's looking at a very creepy honeymoon photo from Scott. <laughs> of them in the bed, we should say. And Scott yeah. In a, in a I just did it kind of pose. Yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's all like, ah, oh, that was so good. Who took the photo? Um, <laughs> Room service, I guess. I guess so. Rolled in, they're both in the bed. They're like, hey, buddy, take a photo quick. And then quickly print it out and let me send it to the professor. <laughs> Very weird. Yeah. Anyway, but professor catches um, Kitty's distress call. So he calls in the cavalry, which is Storm and Wolverine. Hey, that, that's about. a hell of a cavalry, though. That's a hell of a cavalry. 
And so he's worried, though, because Rogue is there now. And because we figure out almost immediately it's the brother of evil mutants. And so they're worried where her loyalties are. Yeah. Because she used to be, but now she's not. Yeah, that's a good question. So Wolverine and Storm head out to save the day. Professor X has some kind of powerful mind burst, some kind of size scanner that almost debilitates him, hurts him quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. One of our uh, subplots, there's some mysterious alien psi wave scanning the planet and it messes with him. We get some references about Storm becoming a little more risky like Yukio was. Yes. Um, Kitty announces that she reads Scientific American. And so (laughs) she had read an article by Reed Richards uh, about how to cool down metal. I mean, warm metal back up without destroying it. Yeah. So she decides to go alone. Uh, She calls Fantastic Four. Of course, they're not there. So she decides to do it herself. At two, more locks in the alley. They find a dead drug addict. And they decide to make her look like Kitty. Um, with the, we can only assume, plan to go get Kitty and bring her back down. So now we jump. We have cavalry arrives, and they start fighting. Uh, Nightcrawler and Amanda are making out in public in Lincoln Center. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. And the Brotherhood shows up. First Pyro, then we get Avalanche, um, the Blob, the... Who's the precog? What's her name? I can never remember. Uh, Destiny. Destiny, that's right. So we start fighting. Fight for a few minutes. The Blob's pretty tough. Wolverine is pretty tough as well, of course. So we have some pretty decent fighting panels. So then we cut to Kitty, who's breaking into Fantastic Four headquarters to steal this machine. She uses the phrase burgled, which I think is really funny. <laughs> she is burgling. She's such a square. Four. That's right. And briefly wonders about the possibility of an apprenticeship for yeah. Dr. Richard. Why not? I broke in. Why not? Well, we're, we're playing more on her being really smart. We're kind of yeah, building up that aspect of her character. Well, she reads Scientific American. Well, yeah. So we know, we know she's really smart. Yeah, true. I don't read Scientific American, do you? No, that's why I'm not very smart. There you go. See? It's proved it. Yeah, so she breaks in. We cut back to the fight. Fight's going on for a little bit. Got some raining panels. Cut back to Kitty. She's finding the machine. Jumps off the roof. And then yells no. Leaves it I there. I think she got scared off the roof. And, or possibly, well, I think she was trying to Possibly walk. pushed. No, I thought she was trying to walk in the air because she says, pretend like you're six inches off the ground. Yeah, and she's she trying is. To make but, herself... then, but she says, um, behind me, what's that noise? So I oh, think maybe. she gets shocked out. Maybe, of... she, maybe she's about to do that and then goes too early and so she can't control it. But anyway, she yells no. And we see her up in midair. We go back to the fight. Finally, the blob surrenders. Wolverine does his classic knuckles under the chin move. Yes, nice. And the blob surrenders. Turns out it was all a trap. Mystique is in the X-Mansion acting as Rogue, about to assassinate the Professor. Professor recognizes the Psy Blast, or the scanner, or whatever, in the last second. And so, as Mystique says, a shot that was designed to kill him only wounded him. Oh man. that out for us. So Rogue shows up and says, what are you doing, Mama? <laughs> and they have a heart-to-heart about how Rogue needs help. She wants Professor X to help her. Mystique's trying to rescue her, but doesn't want to listen at first, and then she listens, and we have some real heart-to-heart talks. Yeah. Finally, Mystique decides to do a prisoner exchange. Professor X for the evil mutants that the X-Men had captured in the big fight. And they say, okay. But then Destiny announces that something really bad has happened to Kitty, and the X-Men better figure it out. And so they rush to a crime scene where it looks like Kitty Pride has fallen to her death, and splatted on the ground, destroying the machine she was trying to get. Yeah, wow. That's bad news. 
That's right. Next issue, what happened to Kitty? Yeah. All right. So going back to the front, I got to say that's an awesome opening panel. It is a good panel. The and horror in Kitty Eyes is a little... Is a little... A little cartoonish, but it, it yeah. kind of works. I'm assuming with the honeymoon picture that that letter to Professor X is also a letter to Penthouse. <laughs> where Scott tells about all the dirty things he did to Madeline Pryor. It's got to um, be. I really like uh, JRJR's profile of Wolverine in costume. It's kind of yeah. Batman-esque, but it looks really cool. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. I like that panel where he's standing with his arms folded and yeah. Rogue up in the air behind him. It's a good, it's a good panel. Yeah, I like that. And the the storm, him and Storm are training in the danger room, and Storm flies by, and Wolverine just kind of snicks and throws his arm and takes yeah. a piece of the cape. And like they're working on both of their accuracies. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a nice little so sequence. I also like when they're flying. Storm is carrying Wolverine, but he's got his arms folded like he's pouting. I said, aw, Wolverine is Storm's Lois Lane. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Wolverine did get something wrong. Um, Uh-oh. He says, um, Storm says, the risk is what makes it fun. And Wolverine yeah. says, that's Yukio's line. Um, no, Wolverine. Gotcha is Yukio's line. That's true. <laughs> gotcha. Did you have another one? Uh, you had mentioned another one, but I didn't remember what it was. I don't remember either. Yeah. She had two lines, but neither of them were what yeah. he says. Then we get a, a scene later where uh, we get a lightning bolt to the ass. Classic. <laughs> zap. An ass zap. Everybody loves that. So I know they're probably just saying it was the clothes she was already in because it's similar. Yeah. But, but when Kitty breaks into the Baxter building, it suddenly looks like she changed into a Fantastic Four uniform. Like, especially that That's scene fun. from the behind where she has the it white does. belt, gloves, and boots. Yeah, it does look like that. That's funny. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if, I guess, I guess it is what she's wearing early on. Well, it's similar, but she wasn't wearing gloves like that. Or the yeah. boots like that. And you can't yeah. see the boots in the yeah. other panels. Yeah, I don't know. That's funny. So when everyone's fighting in the street, I really like that panel, especially the way Wolverine is jumping a blog. Uh, I mean, a yeah. blob. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take this opportunity to complain. Okay. I've never thought, understood why the character Avalanche's name is Avalanche. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense with his power. Because I mean, I guess can, he can also care, call it Avalanche. He probably could if he was in a mountain and had some snow. Yeah, I mean, he could. But he has so many other things he could do. Maybe the first time that's what he did. Maybe. And it just, it just stuck. I've, I've always thought Maybe that he hates weird. that name. And he's all right. like, I did that one time, once, <laughs> and you guys won't let always, me live it down. I always figured his name should be like Earthquake or something, which it's not really doing an earthquake either, but... No, but it makes a little more sense. Yeah. It seems to make know. more sense, but, you know, whatever. I do love the panel where he punches Nightcrawler, but he teleports away and punches him. <laughs> yeah. That's a really cool panel. Because you actually see good. his fist going through the bamp and then getting yeah. punched at the same time. It's really yeah, cool. that's a cool panel. I also like the panel of the blob landing on the ground and punching Nightcrawler and Amanda at the same time. Which one is that? It's backing up a little bit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The background. Where he grabs them both by the neck. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That was a pretty cool panel. Um, I also really like the panel of uh, Wolverine bouncing off of the blob's stomach. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. Yeah. Kitty says something about maybe she can make it up to the uh, Fantastic Four by babysitting. Um, well, in that case, don't let Sue Storm read Marvel Team-Up number 135. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking 
would not help your resume. That um, is not the way to go. Yeah. I really like all the rain work. Yes, it looks good. They did a really good job with the rain in this. In fact, uh, Wolverine, besides the fact that he gets to, to call uh, the blob Tubbo, that panel <laughs> where he calls him Tubbo is an amazing panel. Yeah, like, it really Wolverine is. Wolverine in the rain, kind of like pouncing onto the blob who's covered up with sidewalk. Yep, yep. From Avalanche. It's good really times. cool. So we get a, a panel that I kind of went, oh, man. Did they talk about where Rogue almost killed Dazzler? And I just, I wish he would have. <laughs> I know. Does anybody what? like Dazzler? I guess people uh, in the 80s. Brian Michael Bendis, who is currently doing awesome work <laughs> with the X-Men currently, has yeah. a soft spot for Dazzler. No, I, I don't understand. Yeah. Do something with her. Yeah. So what yeah. do you think of this whole Mystique Rogue scene? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. It's it may be a tiny bit longer than it needed to be. No, I take that back. It's, I think it's a pretty decent scene. And that was pretty great. I really enjoyed like kind of the drama of it, and like I think they both really were still kind of friends in a way. Yeah. Like Mystique really wanted Rogue to come home, air quotes, mm-hmm. and Rogue is like, I kind of want to, but you can't help me the way I need help. Right. And really, and it really even boiled down to Rogue choosing sides. Right. It just boiled down to her doing what she thought was best for herself. And I think right. that's why she kind of wins Mystique over. Because Mystique says, oh, well, you weren't brainwashed like I thought. Like I right. thought Professor X made you join the X-Men. And you don't like the X-Men better than me, which made me kind of mad. Right. But you really do need help. And so she kind of, that's when they kind of come to a resolution. I, don't know, I yeah. thought that was just a really a nice way to write that. I did too. I also like that it it leaves Rogue in the category of is she a good guy or not? Right. Because it's, yeah. then she asks that question is, well, when it comes down to it, are you going to choose them or me? Well, right. She says, like, I, and or if, she didn't really, she dodges the question really. But Yeah. But I mean, it does bring up a good question for the reader <laughs> too though because, well, so when Professor X helps her get her powers under control at that point, does she leave and go back to join the Brotherhood? I mean, exactly. the end that's, game that's is a big question mark. Yeah, so we still get to wonder that, which I liked. Yeah, yeah. It adds a lot of intrigue to the book. Well, and it also it also removes the possibility of their relationship devolving into, you know, a, a bratty, ungrateful daughter right. scenario. Or overbearing, you know, horrible mother scenario. Right, which some writers will not <clears throat> do this as uh, deftly as Chris Claremont. But, um, yeah. I think this version of it's pretty pretty good. I agree. Yeah, you get that some later on more, but, but I mean, and later on they they're fighting each other, and so the the hurt feelings grow. Right. I would I would say, and so this is a good way to start that relationship. That here's, here's where we're at. Yeah. So uh, Wolverine is a pretty. Like he's about to break Amanda's neck. You actually, I think he looks like he's about to choke her with her scarf. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Choke her. Yeah, he looks like he's about to murder her right here. Yeah, he's like your powers did not help us any in the fight. <laughs> You're out. You're out. I can't date you. You're worthless. So, but Wolverine does get a pretty badass threat to Blob. He says, "A word to the wise, Blob. Get used to looking over your tubby shoulder." I I added that part. Um, yeah. Because sooner or later, I'll be there. Don't expect to see much after that. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. Good. Uh, good parting words, the Blob. Yeah, and it fits Wolverine. Yep. And so the final panel of, of Kitty, and it's a good panel. I mean, you know, not that I want to see a dead 13, 14-year-old, but they do a good job with that panel. I like the kind of blood where it's... I was surprised by how much blood there was. I, well, I, I know it, but I, I like that it. it's kind of orange and shiny, so I, I assume right. that they they did that deliberately for the comics code. 
Possibly. And so it's kind of, it's it's bloody, but it's not too gory. And I just want, there's a lot of detail in the broken bits of the machine, too. Yeah. Yeah, they spent some time on that. Yeah. Maybe this is why they, this, this panel is why they had to add so many inkers to the annual. <laughs> Because everybody spent so much time working on this broken bit. This is a completely different pencil work. They're like, oh shit, we gotta do an annual. <laughs> Gather all the inkers. <laughs> no, that, I'm assuming that last page where Bob Wyacek and Brett Breeding were the inkers, that last panel was the and Brett Breeding. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine. Wyacek was like, um, pass. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. So, what do you think of the art overall? We're kind of... We're now kind of officially having uh, John Romina Jr. as our regular yeah. artist. I think it's good. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. There's some great panels. There aren't really any real stinkers, at least not that stuck out. Nope, so, I, yeah. en- I enjoyed it. And I thought the story was also pretty good. Yeah, it's a good story. All right, so what are you going to grade Uncanny X-Men? Once, or do you have anything else you want to wanted to say? No, I'm good. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say four. Okay. I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 178 five out of six claws. I really enjoyed reading it. It's a, it's a hard four, almost five, I would say. Oh, yeah. All right, Uncanny X-Men 179. What happened to Kitty? What did happen to Kitty? We're going to find out. Oh, okay. So we got Chris Claremont, writer, John Romita Jr., and Dan Green as artists. Tom Wozniakowski, letterer, Glennis Wine, colorist. Uh, and there we go. So, cover. Uh, the cover fits the comic well because it tells you pretty much what's going to happen in the comic. Yeah. So basically we um, have uh, Kitty and Caliban getting married. Yeah, with the little Morlock, the Morlock Law Bible. Yeah. Marriage book. Yeah, because Morlock Bible, which I thought was pretty cool. Kitty's crying. Caliban looks a little frightened. <laughs> Had a pink-red explosion in the background. Uh, it's okay. It's not a cover that I would want to look at all the time. But yeah. it, it fits. I think it works well for the comic. I like this cover. Of course, it's uh, by uh, John Romina Jr. and Dan Green, yeah. our, our interior art team. I think the book, the way they drew and colored the book, looks really cool. Yeah. The book is um, very cool. looks nice and old. Um, I like the pose. It's kind of in a, like, oh, wait, what's going on for the reader? Yeah. I feel like like the really hardcore like action lines in the back are the only part that kind of throw it off for me. Because it's not an action scene. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of, it does, doesn't make a lot of sense. I think in the background has been like a pale off-white. This would yeah, be a or maybe sweet just cover. the Morlocks in the background, kind of a shadowy, a shadowy crowd. Yeah, I think I like it better without extra characters, but. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like action. the cover overall, though. I bet. So we open up with Kitty uh, looking very rock starry. Oh, no, we don't. That's the next page, sorry. We open Close up enough. in this... What's that? And close enough. Close enough. We open up uh, under the sewers, the Morlock sewers, where we see a crowd of Morlocks gathered. Uh, zoom in a little bit. Turns out it is Kitty being married off. Yeah. She doesn't seem to quite know what's going on. Morlocks are look very angry and shouting for some reason. And then we have a full page panel of Kitty looking very rock starry. Yeah, I find is- this whole comic. We should either be playing uh, Meatloaf or the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think that this, if Kitty was supposed to be 18, I would say it's like a super sexy cover, like or in, in a panel, is what I mean. <laughs> like it's kind of designed to be, you know, to sexualize her a little bit. She's got the garter. She's right. all 
roughed up looking. But she's 13, so we can't say that. Cameron, I, I think it is supposed to be sexy. Well, I know. And just inappropriately so. <laughs> I think we've clearly established that some of the Marvel writers were a tiny bit pervy. Either that or just they refuse to let her be her age. Yeah, they just. I'm not sure what the issue is, but yeah. It's, so maybe it's, someone declared that she had to be 13, and the rest of them were like, nope, I'm not writing a 13 year old girl. Nope. So every story has her be significantly older. <laughs> but anyway, then we go to a morgue where the uh, rogue uh, Storm and Wolverine are identifying the body of Kitty, which is the one they found on the ground. So they, uh, they look at the body, it looks just like her. Then Wolverine basically pushes the poor guy out, forces him to leave, and then tells everyone that it's not Kitty. He knows by the scent that it is not her, which of course we know it's not her because we saw the Morlock um, mask. mask. So we know that it's the drug addict who died in the alley. But now Wolverine knows. Cut to the mansion where they're trying to figure out Nightcrawler, Ileana, and Amanda, and Professor X are trying to figure out what to do with Carbonite, the Colossus. Yeah. Are they really expecting to find a pulse? I uh, I don't know. It's a kind of a funny thing that Kurt's like, let me get the old stethoscope out. Right, see if we can hear, if I can hear this heart beating. Yeah. Professor X maintains that he can't connect with Colossus, but it could be just that Colossus is in shock. So it doesn't necessarily mean he's dead. Right. So that's our hope. So in the midst of that, Storm warns Professor X that it is not Kitty Pride that's dead. And then Professor X has another debilitating psi attack. So, cut back to... Well, that's really lost. interesting, a, a plot point. So, this yeah. isn't just a, a random note. Because I felt like the end of the last issue kind of led you to believe that the earlier Psy attack was the same as the psychic interference that Mystique used at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it, it did leave that... Leave but that now impression. we're seeing that it's something much stronger right. and There's different. Something, something bigger going on. Yeah. So, I thought that was cool. And it's not impossible, man. No. Possible man. Okay. So back to the Morlocks, but now we have a kitty who looks happy, having a great time, while the Morlocks look fancy in bow ties and top hats. Caliban looks like a Russian Soviet general for some reason. <laughs> I mean, Caliban, uh, well, he does too, but Callisto is what I meant to say, but they both look like Russian generals. Yeah. But as soon as Kitty Pride sees Caliban, the Morlock mind spell disappears. And so she realizes where she's at. She gets real mad. She starts yelling. And we have a real heart-to-heart between her and Callisto. And Callisto tells her, you know, you make promises and you got to follow those promises. Yeah. And 13-year-old Kitty says, you know what? You're right. I was dishonest and I'm sorry. <laughs> but then she tries to Sounds just like a 13-year-old. You know, you know what this whole thing reminds me of? I'm sorry. Um, yes. Kitty's turnaround here reminds me of the uh, teenager that uh, Neil Campbell does on um, Comedy <laughs> Bang Bang. Gosh, I'm so disrespectful. Teenagers are the worst. I always make promises. I don't keep them. If only Scott Arkham would listen to our podcast. I know. He would love it, I think. Yeah, I think so. Or was I? Yeah, so Kitty runs off. She doesn't know where she is. She's confused. She's lost. Suddenly, Leech shows up. She decides to trust him. She can't phase, by the way. So her power, she can't use her power. She doesn't know why. So she comes back, and then Mask has some mean fun with her, turning her face around. Well, I think we should say why she ran off. Oh, yeah, yeah, back it up. Because Sorry. she did agree to the marriage, but then she remembered that she had to save Colossus. Yeah, that's right. We should and Callista so says, well, but you, you won't come back, so we're not going to let you leave. Right. 
And yeah, and I, I can't believe I skipped this. And so during the run, she can't face, she's lost and she's scared. This is where she has the big um, heart-to-heart with herself about right. honesty and integrity. She's really bothered by the fact that she made a promise. Caliban kept up his end of the deal, but, uh, but she did not. And kind of determines she's going to go back. And so Bleach then shows up and she kind of goes with him. So back to the Morlocks. This is when Mask is mean to her for a while. And then Callisto tells him to stop. And so Kitty then basically proposes a deal. That if they'll use the healer, another Morlock, to heal Colossus then they, she will follow through with her deal and marry Calumet. Callisto is excited about it. But then Storm and Wolverine and Rogue show up, and they're not having any of this. So they yeah. start attacking. Kitty tries to say, no, no, I'm going to follow through with this. Don't attack. And they do anyway, and they don't listen to her. So we have some fight for a while. Uh, then Leech sucks everybody's powers. And so ultimately they stop. Well, Kitty Pride stops Wolverine, and they all stop, and she tells them what's going on. And so they decide to join forces and try to go fix Colossus. They come up with a plan to to uh, have Rogue take Colossus' powers away so he'll turn human, um, and then the healer will then step in and heal him quickly as human. So pretty and solid plan, I guess. Pretty solid plan. I mean, Rogue really, at this point, anything you're going to do is going to have a lot of risk. So. Right, right. Well, you also get some of... Rogue shows some of her vanity by talking about her concern about looking different. Uh, she'd never really de- dealt with mutants that had physical transformations because she liked the way they looked and she was worried. But she does it anyway. Again, gets us to vanity, but she's willing to overcome it for the X-Men as she's begin becoming more and more of a real X-Men. So. so they do it, and it works. Colossus is healed. Kitty then tells Ilyana she's going back. Ilyana? Liliana? Am I saying that right? Yeah, Ilyana. Ilyana, I think. Yeah, it's Ilyana. I don't or Ilyana. I don't know, how, I don't know how, what the actual pronunciation is. But oh, I don't know. My Texas pronunciation is Ilyana. 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 She writes a letter to her mom and dad and also to Peter about why she's going down. She gets down the subway. Caliban shows up and says, you know what? I love you. I love you so much that I can't force you to love me. And so I'm going to relinquish you from this deal. And he says, hopefully one day you'll return to me willingly. And she says, nope, but I'll be a friend. (laughs) And he says, all right, I'll take it. Yep. Caliban got friend zoned. (laughs) Caliban got friend zoned. Yep. That's it. When he leaves her his, ro- his wedding present, which I thought was sweet. That's true. He does give her a rose as her wedding present. Which, where did he get a rose into the tunnels? I guess the idea is that he had actually ventured into the sunlight, maybe. Yeah. To get that, to show how much he loved her. Wow, you just made that even more uh, powerful. Blew your mind. All right, so Rogue's been with the X-Men a few issues now. Yep. What do you know about, because, I mean, is her Storm and Wolverine in the morgue? Yeah. Do you think this is a sign of oh, this is a character that was free to go here? Or do you think this is a sign, was she already becoming that popular that fast? I don't really know. I know by the time we were reading, like in the early 90s, she was already really popular by that yeah. point. I don't, was she this question. early? I think maybe because Wolverine has worked with her. Yeah. And so maybe he's the one at this point is the most willing to, to embrace her. Yeah, and to vouch for her. And so when they're... You know, when they're dividing the sitch up, that they send her. Now, I don't know, because she didn't... I mean, I guess she could identify Kitty, too, so I don't, I don't know. I, yeah. I assume that it's just they divided the X-Men up into groups. And she All right, I mean, just the choice is the writer. Like, but yeah, I, was, I, I would guess it's that, about Wolverine having yeah. embraced her and then being a good team in previous issues. Right. So, like, hey, you're with me, kid. Yeah, but I, right. don't, I don't know. I really like, 
know if she was if she was getting really popular, and that was part of it. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be interesting. I do like the the way the Ramita draws a, a shadow of the cowboy hat over yeah. Logan. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was cool. Marlboro Man, very Marlboro Manny. Yeah, yeah. I also like the way uh, Wolverine intimidates the uh, <laughs> yeah. the the, the morgue, morgue guy. What what are those called? <laughs> He's not a mortician. What's the guy yeah. that just kind of works at the morgue? What's that? What's that? Yeah, called? maybe he's a medical examiner. No, oh, okay. Don't watch enough CSI, man. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, I mean, that's the guys who work at the morgue, but, but he could easily just be a guy that is on duty <laughs> as a night shift. Yeah, just a night shift guy who's, who's yeah. you know randomly. And I enjoy how Wolverine identifies the lack of Kitty by the scent. That's always a cool thing when Wolverine uses the scent. Uh, so Storm gets real Scooby-Doo on us. They're, they realize when that is not Kitty, and she says, and the plan would have worked too, except for those damn kids. It's always the kids' fault. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I really love this version of the psychic rapport, the way Ramita draws uh, Storm and in Professor a shadow on like, Professor X's head. It looks really cool. Yeah, I, I was actually just looking at that thinking that I was going to comment. I also really like the... The way the side yeah. energy comes out of Professor X's head, almost like a mohawk. And I was just about to comment on that. Well, there you so, go. So, tit for tat. We are one in my By the way, whoever gets the tat in that trade really loses. I would agree with that. <laughs> um, oh. Got so, the art and colors of Kitty running through the sewer. I, just, I mean, we, we talk a lot during these, this time that. Then Glennis Ween does great colors, but yeah. this scene particularly, just the color of the water and the shadows and everything looks really great. And this is yeah. also, uh, by the way, Leech's first appearance. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. I guess that's why he kind of introduces him himself, and you don't really know. Yeah. He doesn't know anything about him, and I guess the reader doesn't either. I like the way Ramita <clears throat> designed him. He looks really cool. I mean, he's kind of he kind of looks a little E.T.-ish. Yeah, kind of like E.T. in The Watcher. Yeah. You know who he looks like, actually, kind of? Uh, of course, he's first. This guy comes later. But you remember that really lame guy in the 90s, uh, Sleepwalker? Yes, he does. He kind of looks like Sleepwalker. That's funny. But anyway, his I was, power walked in the sleep, right? That was his whole power. Yeah, he like, lived in, like, whenever <laughs> the other guy went to... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought well, that was a serious question for a second there. I, like that. I would like it if he had been like a real Freddy cat. And then he went to sleep and became like a total badass. And so in his sleep, he's all solving crimes right, and doing right, all right. powers and stuff. I don't remember what the guy that was awake in the day was like. I don't know. He was just some teenager. I really like the use of shadow and shading in this issue is great, which, you know, makes sense because for a lot of us underground and stuff. But yeah, I thought it was really job. cool. Um, some great Wolverine panels on this one with yeah. that Wolverine. And when they show up in the Morlocks, Wolverine and Rogue and... Sort of all look really cool. I yeah, yeah, I agree. Really I'm well just, done. I'm really loving the way Ramita draws Wolverine's cow. Yeah, I like do. It makes it all kind of one piece, so it's not like the fin coming off of the right. mask. It's like it's all one mask. I don't know, it just looks like really cool. Too. It gives it kind of a Batman look, but not too much. Yeah. Not too rip offy, but right. similar. Yeah, I like that too. Oh, and there's some nice continuity. Where Rogue, um, Rogue is a. Uh, flying Wolverine around, and he says, uh, Nightcrawler told me about the fight with Storm and Callisto. 
Because, you know, that, that's when Wolverine was off doing the miniseries, and he wasn't oh, yeah, in those right. issues. He wasn't there. So I thought it was just a nice little nod, like, oh, yeah, this is how Wolverine knows what's going on, because Nightcrawler right. told him. A little clever by Claremont. Yeah, pretty good way to do it without, without rehashing it in a big way, like he sometimes does. So, we're, uh, we get a nice snicked when Leech is around, but we get an interesting little line here where uh, Wolverine says, Bub... You made a big, bad mistake with me. These claws are mechanical. They got nothing to do with my powers. <laughs> yeah. Oops. That's not exactly true. Uh, just, excuse, just excuse that. But that did bring up a very interesting question for me, and I don't remember how this works in the future. Does Leech also cancel out, like, physical appearance pout mutations? Ah, that's an interesting question. Like if, like, if he's around Angel, do his wings go away, or he just can't fly? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Because none of the, I mean, the Morlocks are all mutants, right? Right, but they're not close enough to him, because they say that. Don't get too close to him, because then they'll take our powers, too. Right, but what it also, but part of their mutation is also all, like, they all have different right. appearance. So would they <laughs> all, like, look like Clark Gable? So if he did get close, it stands to reason that their appearances would then... Yeah, they, they look like... Uh, the old way or something. Yeah, be a bunch of Brad Pitts down in the sewer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. That's a good uh, point. You know, I, my feeling, my guess, my money, is that they that is dealt with very inconsistently from now on. Yeah, I would guess so. <laughs> I would think maybe maybe you could argue that it's it's a... It's a muting power, and so that he mutes the ability to use the powers, not taking them away. And so in the case of a physical a physical thing, so maybe Angel's wings wouldn't go away, but he couldn't fly. So he's not suppressing the gene? Like the I don't know. I mean, this is my theory. So okay. I, it, you know, before we really get into X-Gene and that, because this is kind of before we start really talking yeah. about that. Yeah, we haven't so done too much of that. Maybe the point of his is that he's, he's muting the power, and so they just can't use it. But it's not really taking it away, like in a rogue kind of way, where she's taking the power from them. Okay, so he's blocking it. Yeah, like a blocker. Okay. I can get behind that, I guess. Maybe. Oh, that's just theory. To me, that would make sense. I don't know yeah. if that's what they... But I agree with you. Probably there's three or four different ideas about that, and so it just is different for each writer that does it. Yeah, probably so. I do like kind of building more of Kenny Smart's... Um, she's the one that comes up with the plan to save Colossus. Yeah, they're pushing the idea that she is a smarty pants. And uh, I a- like the nod by Storm. You know, she's already won over Wolverine a little bit, but when Rogue does this and potentially sacrifices herself for Colossus, you know, Storm talks about how she, well, whatever's gone on before, she's definitely earned her keep as an X-Men now. Yeah, yeah it's a big moment. That's kind of what I was I was trying to get at with the, the whole... She says, you know, that she wouldn't have done this in the past because right. basically vanity and selfishness, I guess, goes with that. But she does it, and so it's a big, that's a big moment for her, or a big moment for a lot of the other X-Men, I guess we'll say. Yeah, pretty cool. I like, because we've seen a bond kind of between Kitty and Wolverine already. And, um, oh, yeah. When Kitty decides that she is, for the last time, going to go down in the sewer... She talks about how it's for honor and how uh, Wolverine would understand making a decision out of honor. I thought that was a nice nod to who Wolverine is. Yeah, Um, I agree. I also want to say, I think Caliban is the best person in this issue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. He's the one that, like, 
out of all the stuff that's going on, he's the one that has the biggest heart in the whole issue. Yeah, well, he's just in love. Like, his whole arc in this comic is that he's in love. He's not involved in any of the revenge. He's not mad at Kitty. He's not angry at the X-Men. He's just pure, he's in love and wants a wife. Yeah, and I gotta say, I don't always like him in the future, but up to this point, (coughs) or at least in this issue, I find Caliban to be a pretty compelling character. Yeah, he's not bad. Especially for, for a warlock. Yeah. They do a pretty good job with him. Yeah, I agree. He actually has, like, dimensions and multifaceted. Yeah. And, and it's cool. <laughs> right? What do you think of the art? Um, good. Yeah, no, it's good. Run with John Romita Jr. He's rolling right along. Part of this, draw, he's drawing the warlocks, who I generally don't care that much for. Yeah, but, but I like the way he draws masks. That's a good job. Say it again. I really like the way he draws mask and plays with the shadow yeah. of his well, robe and stuff. I, but I, I enjoy it as much as I, you know, I don't know. I don't, know, I don't care about the Morlocks very much, but but I don't I, I remember do being a big fan. Look, do what? I don't remember being a big fan, but this is a pretty good Morlock story. Yeah, oh. it is. It is as far as Morlock stories, it is pretty good. I also really like the whole struggle, both external and internal, of Kitty. Because even in this issue, she kind of wavers back and forth. She's going to stay, but then she's got to leave to save Colossus, but then she ends up going back. And then, yeah. I don't know, it was just an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I agree. When are you going to grade Uncanny X-Men 179? I'm going to give it a four. Okay, sticking with your four. Uh, I'm going to repeat yeah. myself as well. I'm going to give 179 five out of six claws. Although I think I liked the other one more. Okay. So I probably should have given the 178 a 5, but you know what? That's all right. I'm not getting paid for these recommendations. So. <laughs> well, then go on your official record. Okay, so next up, we're going to talk about the Magic Storm and Ileana uh, miniseries. It's a four-issue miniseries. It kind of explains, if you remember in Uncanny X-Men number 160, where the X-Men went to limbo. They were coming home, and Magic got kind of pulled back in for a few seconds. Let's call it four seconds. Then they pull her back to real life, but she's aged a lot in those four seconds. Well, this is kind of the untold story of what happened to Magic in Limbo. We'll say that each issue is one second in our world, but a whole issue in Limbo. That's a nice equation, right? And basically, the only Wolverine we get is... In almost every episode, they show the scene of the X-Men trying to pull Ileana back to uh, the real world. And Wolverine's in those scenes. So he's in about one to three panels an issue. Except for number three, which we will promptly ignore. Um, (laughs) uh, Let me run through the credits real fast. Number one is Little Girl Lost. Written by Chris Claremont. Art by John Basima and Tom Palmer. Uh, letters by Tom Orzakowski, colors by Glennis Wine. Number two, Cold Iron, Hot Blood. In the exact same uh, team, exact same credits. Uh, number four, Dark Child, is uh, written by Chris Claremont. Art by Sal Buscema, inks by Tom Palmer. Colors are Ken Fedunovich, and Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. And that's that's it. All right, so our cover to number one is by uh, John Masima and Tom Palmer. It's pretty meh. It has uh, Velasco 
with uh, his evil Nightcrawler and little Ileana. He's having a zap off with Storm and Kitty Pride. The cover by number to number two is by Ron Prince and Tom Palmer. And it is pretty terrible. Um, it has Ileana in some kind of like weird gymnastic suit. Fighting even evil Nightcrawler having a sword fight. Uh, Nightcrawler does have a sword in his tail. That's kind of cool. Uh, that's about it. Uh, the cover to number four is by Brett Blevins. Uh, there's some nice background detail. And then we have Ileana floating above a pentagram as the dark child. She's holding her soul sword. She has horns and evil eyes and an evil smile. It is the best of the four covers, but I wouldn't say it's great. So basically in um, number one, we have a... Oh, I do wonder if Kitty Pride in this Limbo version is a cat character called Cat. I wonder if this is a little bit of a precursor or a springboard to when we get Shadow Cat. Which is, by the way, my favorite Kitty Pride code name. Alright, so Limbo, blah, 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 Belasco, blah, 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 Wizard Storm, blah, blah, blah. Uh, again, basically, this is just a story of how Ileana ages in Limbo. The art's kind of meh. The story's pretty ugh. I'm going to give issue one, one out of six claws. Number two is the story of Kitty Cat training Ileana to be a warrior as she tries to get her back to a point where she can jump home. But only for Belasco to grab her as the X-Men are trying to pull her out. Uh, this again includes Wolverine and goes back to Uncanny X-Men 160. The art and story are both pretty meh. I'm going to give number two one out of six claws. Number four. Ileana makes a soul sword based on Storm's story about an acorn. And um, she defeats Belasco and returns to Earth seconds We'll say four after the X-Men quote-unquote lost her. Uh, yeah, Wolverine's still there. It not only had the best cover, it was the best issue of the four. I'm going to really ramp it up. I'm going to give Magic number four two out of six claws. So that's our um, Magic Storm and Ileana four-issue miniseries. Okay, so next up, we're going to talk about uh, New Mutants number 14. Kind of wrap up at least... From the Wolverine perspective, uh, kind of the, the story of magic coming back to our Earth. Um, this story is written by Chris Claremont with pencils by Sal Buscema. And it says finishes by Tom Mandrake. Um, you know, that's probably inks, but he probably also pitched in a little bit on the pencils. Um, Gwyneth Ween is a colorist. Tom Orjakowski is a letterer. And um, this is, do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart? Which comes back from Limbo. I don't know. That's all I got. So basically what happens is uh, Magic is back. But she's really conflicted. And the new mutants are playing in the snow. Professor X is um, a little worried that he can't mentally violate Ileana. And the new mutants decide to throw him a party so he won't miss Lilandra so much. Sim comes to collect magic for Belasco. Um, the new mutants pitch in and fight, and magic kind of puts them on the ropes with her soul sword, just like she did in Limbo in the miniseries. And she becomes Sim's new master. So it's time to get this party started, and then the X-Men come home from some mission or another, and um, old man Logan complains about the kids and asks for a cold brew. And suddenly Professor X has got over his psychosomatic paralysis, and he can walk. So really Wolverine's barely in there just at the end and kind of 
just really me an old man. Um, he says, what I tell you? Can't leave these flaming kids alone for an instant. And then he complains about the kids and gets a broom. But then in the end, he kind of smiles. So, I mean, the bald guy can walk now. What's not to smile about? Alright, so basically, um, on our cover here, we had, um, a giant sim fighting the new mutants by Tom Mandrake. I gotta say, I thought the art on the cover was a little bit better than the inside. Basically, we have Sim, uh, trying to steal magic, and we have Sunspot, Cannonball, uh, Donnie. I always forget that Wolf's Bane is not really a werewolf. She actually turns into an actual wolf. And then, of course, we got Magma's hot body, literally, down at the bottom. Um, it's an alright cover. Not really too great. Alright, so basically, um, that the art was pretty good. I don't really like the way he draws Sim, but it's better than his first appearance, where he just looked like a big, um, evil Barney. So, at least this is a, a step up from that. Uh, the story... Not really my cup of tea. Some of the characterization was okay, but... Anyway, I'm gonna give you new, new mutants... What's that? Oh my! <laughs> Looks like we have a caller. Um, hello, you're on the podcast at Ghost Snit. Andrew. Andrew. Oh, wow. Some of you might remember Andrew was on an episode uh, a while back when we talked about um, some Marvel team-up stuff where uh, the X-Men met Spider-Man. Hey, it's good to hear from you. I was the Spider-Man expert. Yeah, yeah. So, what do I own the honor? Well, it it, uh, it, it so happens I'm also a new mutants expert. Really? It's pretty amazing to be an expert at two things. (laughs) You're a rare breed, sir. A rare breed. A rare breed. I thought I would call in. That's my mutant power. I thought I would call in and uh, give give my two cents if if, uh, you were short. Well, yeah, I mean, we've never had a caller before. This is a, this is a new thing for the podcast, but it's great. Um, yeah. You know, it's actually, it turns out pretty well because I am also a rare breed. I am an X-Men fan of my age that doesn't really care about the New Mutants, where that's kind of blasphemous. You know, most X-Men fans in their mid-30s, like, worship the New Mutants. And I don't really care that much for them. But I understand. Obviously, if you're an expert, I'm assuming you're a fan as well. So it'll be nice. I, I, I am. Yeah, it'll be nice to get a little bit different perspective. So what do you think of this issue? Have you read this yeah, one, I'm, I'm guessing? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the issue. It's, uh, you know, in itself, it's not that compelling of a read, but it's really a pretty pivotal issue for the New Mutants, you know, scope of what happened. You know, okay. One, it's really the first time Ileana's been just kind of a background character a few times. This is the first time she takes an active role in the New Mutants comics, and this is the first time she appears under the name Magic. Uh, and you start to realize she's got some of these additional powers. She's got the sorcery thing. It starts the classic Claremont duality character where they struggle with, am I good? Am I bad? Am I going to kill everyone? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Claremont, you know, made famous uh, right. with his X-Men writing and everything he's ever written. So, it's, you know, as far as the Indians goes, the writing, the art, it's probably one of the worst issues of all of them. But it's a really important issue because it starts the storyline that's really going to become eventually the Inferno series. And it, 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 it's the beginning launching point of a much bigger story to come. And, you know, really inserts Ileana into the Mutants, she officially joins in the next issue. Okay, well that's what I was going to ask. So she at this point has not 
been on the team. That's correct. So she's been. So the issues that we've read uh, on previous episodes of Uncanny, where she's just kind of hanging around the mansion, that's kind of been her role to this point. Yeah, she first showed up, um, I think, in Giant Size X-Men, something from 1975. Yeah, yeah. Colossus saved her from a runaway tractor. That's when he first kind of realizes, or not realize, maybe not the first time he ever armored up, but the first time he ever did it in front of anybody. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, uh, she's been around. I never really did anything with her. Well, yeah, I mean, she was a little kid, and then she uh, went to Limbo and came back older. Uh, So, I have to ask this. So... Based on Uncanny, and based on what we talked about in, uh, we actually just missed, I talked about the, the Storm and Ileana Magic miniseries just a minute ago, but in that, and in previous issues of Uncanny, they talk about, well, is she, isn't she gonna, like, manifest any mutant powers? And obviously, when she ages in Limbo, she would hit puberty, and so... At this point in X-Men lore, that's pretty much no one gets powers until then. That, of course, will change over time. But um, but to this point, like that's when you get your powers. So it makes sense if she's going to be a mutant, this would be the time now that she's suddenly aged. But even like as recently as the miniseries, which happens right before this, there's like there's still the question mark of if she's a mutant. And then in this issue, they talk about her being a mutant as if she's been one like for a long time. So is there any like kind of explanation, or is she just like oh suddenly she's a mutant and let's just go with it? Yeah, I don't know exactly when they first showed what her mutant power is, but her mutant power is actually her teleportation disc. Okay. How she gets in and out of limbo. Okay. The sorcery is not a mutant power. It's just that's what she be. that's what she learned while she was there, right? From um, right. Uh, the her, older the storm and is her actual mutant power is to be able to okay now is that power tied specifically to limbo or is that just one of the things because in this issue she tries to teleport the team to her aid and they go to limbo first before they come to her is that is that how it always is like everybody has to go through limbo to use her power or is that just kind of because of the the circumstance she's in in this story I don't know okay. if later on in some other series they explain it differently, but in the right. New Mutants world, for her to use her teleportation, you go to Limbo and then go somewhere else. Okay. So you always kind of take that as a stopping point on the way. Okay, that makes sense. I will say uh, she's pretty active in the current Uncanny run, like, like today, but uh, basically... And I, I'm stealing this a little bit from the Uncanny X-Cast guys. Basically, her her storyline is sarcastic comment, teleport the X-Men somewhere, sarcastic comment, teleport them home. <laughs> that, that's, kind of, that's kind of her character arc at this point. But they don't really... Sometimes they're going to win, but they don't always show it, which I guess that would get old if you showed it every time. So I wasn't sure. I've yeah, never... not all artists like to have to draw extra scenes. Right, know? yeah. I'm getting pained by the panel. <laughs> yeah, if you read the New Mutants, I think Claremont must have been getting paid by the word. Oh, yeah, in the 80s, he it's must like have. Reading, uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty lengthy. Okay, well, one, since I got you here, one one more question I have for you. When Ron or Rain, hey, what's the, first of all, what's the product? correct pronunciation for uh, Miss Sinclair? Rain. Rain, okay. So when Rain turns into a wolf, where do her clothes go? Phenomenal question, <laughs> and uh, the answer is, they, you know, they're gone. 
they, they fall off because, you know. But when and, she turns back, she's not naked, right? It's not a Hulk scenario where, like, the clothes she's in is the Hulk is the clothes she's in when she comes back. You know what they do? Uh, yeah, she has, like, a transitional, like, half werewolfy form and then her full wolf form. Yes. She can't wear clothes as a full wolf. In some of the episodes as it goes on, when she goes into the half wolf form, she still has on her blue and yellow, oh. eventually different colored clothes. Actually, right. And to be fair, once we get to X-Men uniform proper, they can be those unstable molecules, so they can just kind of dissolve into her fur and then come back, and that's not a big deal. You can thank uh, Reed Richards for that. But like in this particular issue, she has on the the big overcoat and then suddenly not. (laughs) I just thought it was kind of funny. It's probably very, uh, admittedly very nitpicky, but you know, hey. Yeah, and she was uh, extraordinarily timid early on, so yeah. very, very, uh, very problematic for her. Yeah, actually, I, w- I will say her and Cannonball are of this New Mutants team, the two characters I actually like, so, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, they were, uh, you know, of, the, of the original, they were definitely the ones who kind of stuck around and stayed the most relevant for the longest. Right. That people didn't get tired of and wanted to kill. <laughs> you know, this episode, you, or this issue, you see Doug Ramsey mention, you know, that he's going to join the Massachusetts Academy and, oh, what are they going to do? Right. He's possibly the worst character to I, ever be in a comic book. Yeah, I don't like him. Uh, I will say it, his best friend. Eventually. Yeah, his best friend, Warlock, I probably like even less when he shows up. Yeah, and there's this really creepy issue later where Warlock digs up Doug's dead body and. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a little creepy. All right, well, I gotcha. So what did you think of the art in this issue by uh, Basima Mandrake team up? Uh, not, not, a, not a fan. Okay. Uh, now, was Basima the regular artist at this time, or was he pinching in? You know, he he, uh, he took over for, uh, I think it was McLeod was the very first one. Okay. Uh, Bob McLeod, I believe, yeah. did it at first. Uh, Sal did it for a while. So this is kind of the art you have for a pretty good run. Okay, so Mandrake, uh, did he ever have a run on interiors? Because I know um, he did. I know he did a lot of the covers. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. You know who? Uh, yeah, they went through a few different really interesting artists who did some really different things. I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, Bert Blevins. Really, really weird avant-garde. Oh, of that would be Bill Sienkiewicz. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was just really groundbreaking and fit really well with kind of the darker storytelling during that era. And then they had a really weird kind of cartoony guy named Brett Blevins for yeah, a while. Yeah, right. Um, I remember him. Yeah, I think Sal was maybe my least favorite of it. It's just, it's not that it's bad, it's just really ordinary. It's yeah. really, really uh, I can I can get on board with that. All right. Well, hey, since I got you, why don't you go ahead and give um, New Mutants number fourteen a grade? We grade on a six claw system. Six claw. Yeah, for the six claws okay. of Wolverine. So, how many right. claws would you give this issue? I'm gonna have to give it a three claws. Okay. And uh, I'd love to give it more because of its relevance. Right. But as a standalone story, it's like a one. So, I got gotcha. you. Well, not not knowing all of the, I I'm aware of like because I you know read Inferno, so I know kind of where this goes eventually, but not really being a big fan of Limbo in general, and not really knowing 
the New Mutant storyline as it follows through specifically to those characters. Um, I'm going to go with your one. I'm going to give New Mutants number 14 one out of six claws. Uh, I just didn't really care for this at all, to be honest. But hey, I want to thank you very much for calling in. Um, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, Hope you have a, yeah. an excellent rest of your podcast. Well, hey, uh, we'll try to get you back on the show proper sometime early next year. Anyway, thanks, Andrew. Uh, take care. Keep listening. <laughs> That's what I was supposed to say, right? (laughs) All right, thanks, man. All right, so that's going to do it for uh, Wolverine Year 10 Part 1. Hope you enjoyed it. I feel like for Year 10, there should have been a little more going on, but what happens in the later parts of Year 10? Yeah, we'll see. All right, so Cameron, thanks again for coming on. Why don't you uh, plug your stuff? Always. It's always a good time. Uh, My podcast, History Banter Podcast, review historical movies in a hopefully entertaining way. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, we have Twitter at History Banter. Facebook at uh, is History Banter.com on the Facebook. So anyway, check it out. Um, as usual, please uh, leave an iTunes review, like the Facebook page. Our Twitter is at SnickCast. Our email is SnickCast at Yahoo.com. I dare you to email us. <laughs> and show notes and stuff can be found on SnickCast.Podbean.com. Yeah, that's it. So until next time, Hugs and snakes. Bye.